0: Wonderful to be here and have the opportunity to bring the word of God this morning. I trust you're all doing okay. Let me get my word here. Hmm. Okay. Well, I want to encourage you to listen to what Pastor Randy has to say. About the fighter verse about practicing the Word of God and so um, we've been doing this since the beginning of 2016 and uh, I had the opportunity to lead that the first year and a half and so I put a lot of those in my memory program and uh, one of those that I uh, put in were when we practiced John 3 16 to 21 Okay, my Bible program is hidden here. It was on before. Okay, and John three sixteen and 21 goes like this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe uh Whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. Uh, The light has come into this world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things, hates the light, does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But everyone who does what is true comes to light so it may be clearly seen that his works are carried out in God. And I remember, if you remember when Chris Robinson, does anybody remember when Chris Robinson came up here? And he almost made it to the end. And then he fell a little short. Pastor Randy had to help him out a little bit. So that was cool. But that is a very, very revealing passage of Scripture. And that's why we want to concentrate on those things. Because they teach us so much. That God loves us. That he sent his son for us. And if we believe in him, the scripture talks about believing in him, receiving him, that you're born again and you don't have to worry about perishing. That's a frightening thing. Frightening enough to think about death, but then your soul perishing, that's ultra frightening. And if you don't believe, it says you're condemned. And he didn't come into the world to do this. He came into the world to do this. He came to save us, what it says there. And it talks about the judgment. He came as the light of the world. John chapter 1, the first few verses there. And people don't like want the light. They'd rather live in the darkness of sin and evil. And how sad that is. But by virtue of you being here today, that's encouraging to, or encouraging to me because I know many of you here, you know Jesus as your Savior. You are following Him and walking with Him. And you are rejoicing in the light and spreading the light. To this community and beyond. So, if you're not he, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, it's time to get to know Him. Amen, amen. 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 So, this morning I'm going to be preaching on um, John, excuse me, Psalms chapter nineteen, what Paul just read. And I want to start out first of all by reminding us of the time when Jesus was uh, passing through Jericho. And the chief tax collector, Zacchaeus, climbed up a tree to see Jesus. He was a short man, couldn't see over the crowd. Kind of like, I'm only five foot ten, so there's lots of times I can't see over the crowd. And he climbed this tree. Jesus saw him. And Jesus invited himself to Zacchaeus' house. Oh, how cool was that? And that day, Zacchaeus' life changed. He became a follower of Jesus Christ. In Sunday school this morning, I was in Wes's class. He had us go around and uh, tell how old we were when we became a follower of Jesus Christ. My answer was, I was 26. I didn't really grow up in a church home, had no religious uh, upbringing, really. I, I married this woman who was going to be a nun, and uh, she wasn't really following Jesus. That's why she ended up with me. And so um, she ended up, while we were married, after a couple years, finding Jesus. And jumped in with both feet, and I'll tell you what, leave me alone. (laughs) That's if it's good enough for you, but leave me alone. But I watched her for a year and a half, and her life changed. And she was a better wife. She was pretty good already. And a better mother, and she was a pretty good mother already. And I said, you know what, maybe I'll check this Jesus thing out. So I started going to church with her. And 44 years ago, yesterday, I was in Beach Street Baptist Church, Southern Baptist Church in Texarkana, Arkansas, and I heard the good news on Resurrection Sunday that Jesus rose from the dead. And I go, I'm afraid of dying. I don't really want to perish. He's alive, a living Savior, and He wants to be my Savior? Okay, sign me up. And it's been an amazing 44 years, and it's still getting good. Praise the Lord for that. And uh so, before then, I was kind of like lost, didn't really know about direction in life. And um, it's a lead in for today's sermon about being lost and found. So, if you're turning with me in your Bible or open up your Bible to Psalm 19, I'd love to have you follow along. There should be one in the pew if you don't have one. A lot of us come with our Bibles. I have a U version on my smartphone. And, uh, it's really kind of better than the, the printed Bible, because the printed Bible, I just have one version, and this, I have like 100 versions in English, and 1,000 versions in most of, the, most of the printed languages in the world. Praise God for the availability of His Word today. And so, we're in Psalm 19. In the beginning of that, we see that the heavens speak. And I say, when I look up at the heavens, whoa. I feel small. I feel insignificant. Really? This is so big and so vast and I'm so small and we here on planet Earth are just one little planet in our solar system and and our star and the Milky Way and who are we? Who are we that we should be anything? And without really knowing God, I felt small and I felt insignificant and I felt lost and I felt really without direction and purpose in life because I didn't really know I mean I watched my parents and my parents were good parents and they they ta- taught me how to live and I went to school growing up and school taught me how to live and and I watched other people around me and they kinda taught me so I knew how to live but on the inside I just really didn't know and so we look at the first verse it says as a lead-in to the choir master a Psalm of David The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Wow, wow, wow. This is a psalm of David. Now, we should listen to David. He was the second king of Israel and was a mighty king for God. But the best thing about him, Acts chapter 13 tells us, he was a man after God's own heart. My prayer for you all that you would be a person after God's own heart. If he came up and said, Elijah, when you get to meet meet him someday, Elijah, you are a man after my own heart. How would you feel? You'd be strutting, wouldn't you? Hey, that's what I'm talking about? Yes. That's my prayer for all of you today. And if you don't know Jesus, now's the time to get started before it's too late. I got saved at 26, so I know what adult life is like without really knowing where I was going. And now, as a Christian, I really know where I'm going. So, the heavens here declare the glory of God. They speak of God's glory, and what a testimony it is! Wow. Let's talk about nighttime first. We go out at nighttime; it's dark, and we look up in the sky. And what do we see? We see the moon most of the time, and it's full of glory. Although it's not really a light; it's a reflector of light that comes from the sun. Jesus is the light of the world, and we're supposed to be the light of the world, but we're not light ourselves. We're a reflector of the light of Jesus Christ. And so we see that moon. We see stars beyond number. Incredible. And many of those stars are not even really stars. They're clusters of stars called galaxies. Twinkle, twinkle, little galaxy. How I wonder what you are. That's what I really should have said, because that's really what we truly see most of the time. And then we start thinking about, well, what is that like? And, and one of my silly, foolish moments when I was a kid, I thought, well, maybe there's just one light out there and a black piece of paper with a bunch of holes in it. Mm. Well, I'd never gone out to outer space, so I didn't know about that kind of stuff, but I wasn't really that naive. But we see stars beyond number. Uh, accru- uh, acclaimed Uh, uh, Astrophysicist Jason Jason Lyle, Um, I've I've read and watched some of his videos and stuff, an amazing guy, and he talks about if you could take our solar system from the sun out to Pluto and go vacuum it down into a, a, a circumference about like this, okay? And that's our whole solar system, by the way. And then you go, where's the nearest star from our solar system? It would be a quarter of a mile away. That's how far the stars begin. And then if, if you take, um, if it were possible that you could get in your car and have a highway to the sun and drive highway speeds to the sun, do you know that it would take you? 150 years to get there, so none of us would be able to get here. Not even Duke or anybody else. We don't live that long driving at highway speed. And if perhaps, on the other hand, we decided to go the other direction and go out to the end of where Pluto is and drive at highway speeds, and there was a highway we could follow, interstate to Pluto, Pluto interstate. Um, Interstate number 9, I guess that would be. Anyway, um, it would take six thousand years to get there. So in other words, I believe that the Bible teaches that the earth is about six, the universe is about 6,000 years old. So Adam and Eve would just about be getting there if they were still alive. That's only in our solar system. And we're talking about our star, our sun being one star in the Milky Way with billions, trillions of stars in our Milky Way galaxy, and our galaxy itself is like one sand, one grain of sand in the seashore of all the seashores in the world. That's what's out there in the known universe. It is big. It is vast. It is incredible. And why would God do that when we can't really see much of it? When I lived in San Jose, California, I went out and I counted the stars, all six of them. The Bay Area, yeah. But it's nice to go out where there's no, no city lights and everything. you can just see, see all of them in their vast array. Amazing. The glory of God. He is so great that it's just an expression of his glory whether we see it or not. And now we have the Hubble spaceship out there, a, spa- a telescope out there, and we can see way beyond what we've ever been able to see with human eyes. And if you really want to see that, look it up on the internet, the Hubble uh, telescope, and you will see pictures of the universe out there that are totally incredible and mind-blowing all reflecting the vastness and the glory of our creator god. In addition to that, what we see is uh, is wisdom in all this all, all how all this works because God, our creator, is a lawmaker. We're going to see a little bit about that more when we get down to the second part of the sermon. But he's a lawmaker, and he made the laws of mathematics, and he made the laws of chemistry, and he made the laws of physics, and he made the laws of astronomy. So when we look around there, out in space, we can Watch the stars, watch the constellation, watch the, don't look directly at the sun, but watch the sun's movements and so forth. And we get our signs and seasons and all that. And it's with precision, clockwork precision. Whether Adam did it 6,000 years ago or one of us does it today, clockwork precision because we have a lawmaker God who made these laws. And we look up and we learn this wisdom as we look in space. Well, how about daytime? We look. We are really blessed. We are really, really, really blessed. And I hate to brag, but we live in Maui. We live in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, in the tropics. We got a couple people from Oahu here. Uh, one lady. Hi, Linda. From, you were from the Big Island, right? Did I get that right? Someone, or somebody was from the Big Island here today. Who's from the Big Island? Oh, yeah. There you go. She's from the Big Island. Got it. And so we live out here, and we get to just see amazing sunrises. And We get to see amazing sunsets with color and beauty and, and just the clouds and everything. And we look up during the day, and we see how great the sky is and the clouds are. Even on a rainy day, we get to see these things. And it's amazing. Why? Because the heavens de- de- declare the glory of God, and the skies proclaim His handiwork. Wow. Let's look at uh, verses 2 and 3 here and 4. It says, Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, there are no wor- nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes throughout the earth, and their words to the end of the world. And I'll stop there. You see, the heavens speak. They speak of God's glory. What a testimony. They always speak. Day to day, it says there. Night to night, it says there, they're always speaking to us. And so when I go outside and look, I go, whoa, this is so unbelievably great and amazing. And who am I? I'm nothing. Wow. And I feel so small and I feel so insignificant. And yet the skies and the, and the heavens declare declare their testimony without using any words as it says here it just keeps teaching us and it keeps teaching us as it says in verse 2 knowledge and as we study the sciences we see how great and awesome the laws of mathematics and uh, physics and astronomy are if you've studied any of that stuff and this knowledge is available by us seeing the glory of god in the heavens in verse 4, their voice goes through all the earth. Their words are heard to the end of the world. Not only are the heavens always speaking to us, they're speaking to us everywhere on this planet, wherever you go in the world. And I've never been in the southern hemisphere. How many have been in the southern hemisphere? Some people have. A couple of you have. So I don't really know what it's like down there, but I'm sure it's pretty similar to the way it is up here. You look at the amazing skies and the amazing heavens and God's voice speaks everywhere, not using words. So we see the heavens, we see the skies, God's amazing creative work. We see his sustaining work by us still being here today, things are still the same. And we see his glory beyond compare. Well, let's look at verses 4 through 6 and see a, a specific example of the heavens speaking and the speaking of the glory of God. In the last half of verse 4, it says, "...in them he," that's God, "...has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom, leaving its, his chamber, and like a strong man, runs his course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, its circuit to the end of them, and there's nothing hidden from his heat." Well, We see an example of God's glory in the majesty of our star. We call our star the sun. It is the uh, the star that God made for us for the light to rule the day. And what does it say about this sun? It says that he has set a tent for the sun. I'm wondering why he didn't say house for the sun. A tent's more of a, a a temporary thing and a house is more of a permanent thing. So, well, you know what? Maybe the sun's not going to last forever. Maybe this world is going to wear down and be gone like Hebrews chapter 1 teaches us. Aha, maybe that's why it's been set in a tent. I'm not a real big tent person, neither is my wife. Our camping is to go to like the Hampton. Um, and it, it's still there, you know, it doesn't change. Uh, maybe some of you are great tent people. Praise the Lord. Everybody to zone. own. But the sun is in the tent of the heavens. And what does it say about the sun? It's pretty awesome here. It gives a couple illustrations, a little figurative speech here, like a bridegroom leaving his chamber. I'm a new husband. I'm the luckiest man in the world. I got a great wife. And I'm bragging and bragging and bragging. And, and you're going, I wish I had a woman like that. The sun is that kind of Awesome. Awesome thing. Just like a a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. The second thing it says is that it is like a strong man runs its course with joy. We're talking about supreme athletes like Olympic athletes that know they're the best. Uh, and and like typically in tennis is one of those where the upper seeds they almost always win they know they're the best and they act like the best and one of the reasons they're the best is because they're the best and they don't let the pressure get them down because they know they're the best and you know we have an amazing star out there God made this star for us called the sun and it's the right size for us it's the right color for us, and it has to do with how much heat it's putting out. and it's a well-behaved star. It's not sending huge sunspots to us and some of these uh, fernal mass eject- ejections or whatever they are, and messing up our electronics and messing up everything else and, and killing us with uh, uh, re- electromagnetic radiation or whatever. We got a nice sun. Well, God designed it that way. and so God made our sun awesome, and it's also life-sustaining. We get its light, and we get its heat. It says at the end of that, there's nothing hidden from its heat. I'm really thankful. You know what? It's really weird to go to a restaurant here in Maui or church here in Maui. Um, Was it Meb? Was that your right name, Meb? He left a little while ago after he came in. And then I saw him come in a second time, and guess what he did? He happened to have a jacket in his car. (laughs) And he came back, and I said, well, welcome to Kahalua. You're a regular now. You're bringing your jacket. Look around. How you doing, Dottie? How's your jacket? Warm enough? Praise the Lord. Well, here in Maui, we can go to the restaurant, and we're like freezing, and we go outside to the car in January and go, oh, oh, I feel so nice and warm out here. Older people have issues with that. You know, we, we need the heat. And, um, and so, wow, the sun does that everywhere around this world. Praise the Lord. Well, the conclusion with all the skies and the heavens is that I really feel small when I look up there. I really feel insignificant up there. I feel lost. Wow. But, secondly this morning, not only the heavens of God speak, and I say I feel small, But the Word of God speaks. And guess what I have here. You thought, well, he needs a second pulpit. Yeah, I do. I have it here for the Word of God, so you can look at it. Praise the Lord. The Word of God, the B-I-B-L-E, basic instruction before leaving earth. It's God's Word, and we receive it as such here at Calvary Baptist. The Word of God speaks, and you know how I respond? I feel special. I've been reading the Bible for 40 forty-five years or so now and I really feel special when I read the Word of God and so the Word of God speaks what does it do it gives us rules the rules of life let's look at verses 7 through 9 real quick verses 7 through 9 I'll get to 10 later but let's look at verses 7 through 9 it's called here six different things Six six different expressions, and we'll look at these. It says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing in the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Verses 7 through 9. So, I'm kind of lost, don't know what's going on in the world and I'm looking for some authority. I'm looking for some rules that, that, that make sense. And I find them here in the Bible. And it calls them here in verse, um, verse 9, the rules of the Lord. And the rules of life is what we're talking about here that you can learn from turning yourselves over to this book, the rules of life. Now, it mentions the word in, in your scripture there, Uh, Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That's the English translation of the I am God, the God, the God of the Jews, the God of the church, um, who revealed himself to Moses in the burning bush in the the book recorded in in Exodus. And so he says, I am God, and there is none other. He says he knows all things, he's all powerful, uh, the most high God. And he would know whether there's any other God or not. So whatever else people call as God are the vain imaginations of people and or demons. I'm sorry, but that's what he says. That's what I believe. And so the law of the Lord, it says here, and it says, we all know what law is. I want to drive my car uh, on Hono Ilani at 55 miles an hour. And uh, the law says, well, I can only go 45 or whatever. And if I persist in doing that, I'm going to eventually get a ticket and have to pay a fine or more. And so a law is the law. Then it goes on and talks about the testimony of the Lord. Well, what is written? What does he say in his word? The precepts are basically, that's a pretty strong word. I, I don't really use that word very often, but it's a mandated law. This is the way it is. And the same thing with the next one there, the commandment of the Lord. That's a must-do. A commandment is a must-do from our creator, our owner, the one who made everything, the authority, and it goes the fear of the Lord. That's an interesting one. It seems a little bit out of place here. However, it's stemming from him being the sovereign king of the universe, the sovereign and only king, God of the universe. And that's to fear him, that's the righteous thing to do. And lastly, in verse 9 again, the rules of the Lord. So we're talking about where, how do we know how to live? Well, if you look in this book, we get the rules of life. Now, what does this passage say? These are the expressions of God's law. What are their, what are their descriptions? What, what does God say about his law? And what is it, we see in this passage six expressions of their descriptions as well. Not only six expressions of the law, but six expressions of their disciplines. And the first one it says there, the law of the Lord is perfect. Perfect. Perfect only means one thing, really. It means perfect. There's no flaws in it. It's not, not taken down in any way whatsoever. It's exactly the way it's supposed to be. And then it says that it's sure. I like something that's sure. Okay? I can stand here, it's sure. But if I'm standing here, I'm getting placed to where it's not so sure. Okay? Certain. And like a rock. And then it says that his law is right. And at the end of that passage, altogether righteous. You want to know what's right in the world and what's not right? Go right here. Spiritual law, right. Spiritual laws that aren't in this, wrong. Moral law, What does this say? This is our authority. Go by it. You go any other direction, it's wrong. God even calls it evil. And it becomes wicked too. So, God's description of his law is perfect, sure, right. Then he talks about two that are very closely related. Pure and clean. Not contaminated, not stained by any kind of evil. And it's also, number five, lasting. Or there specifically, it says, enduring forever. Number six, it's true. Oh, we want to know what truth is? Like Pilate says, what is truth? And today, there's a lot of confusion out there. I'll get to that in a minute. Well, what is truth? In God's word, His laws last forever, and they are true, 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 found right here. And then lastly, well, that's number six. Perfect, sure, right, and altogether righteous, pure and clean, lasting and true. So these rules of life that God gives us in his word are our authority for living. And who can challenge him? Are you going to challenge him? Bill, are you going to challenge him? Not me. Not anybody. Nobody can stand before him. Nobody. And I hate to think that some people say someday they're going to stand before God and shake their fist at him. Not gonna happen, not gonna happen. So we have these rules to life and all of a sudden I'm getting some clarity in my life. I was feeling small but I'm getting some clarity. I'm getting some, some, some specialness as I look at these rules for life. Life is confusing. Oh man, what is true? What is right? How do I know? There's so many voices. There's conflicting voices and so I think, of the people groups if you look at all the people groups in this world and, and the nations and societies that are go along with them what kind of government should we have how big of government should we have should we not have any government at all you know a lot of people like to say that but would society really manage itself with no government no no rules no enforcers of the rules and then what kind of rules are there about maybe taking somebody else's life whether you want to do it intentionally or you accidentally do it, no matter what their age, or even if they're in the womb. And what should rules be about our, 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 our sexuality and our gender and about marriage or no marriage or what kind of marriage or what combinations of marriage should be? These are things in society that and people groups, that they come to a conclusion and they set some rules in these areas. Well, how do we know what should be the right way? Well, we have the rules of life here. So we don't have to be confused anymore. When we look up and see how big everything is and we feel so small and insignificant, we don't have to feel that way because the Creator made you special in His image to have dominion over this earth in His likeness he says in our likeness, because He's a Trinitarian God, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Look that up in Genesis chapter 1. And now we can feel special. Matter of fact, when these rules of life take hold in our life, when they drive us to Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord, all of a sudden we have new life. We're born again. You can see in that John 3 passages that I, I quoted earlier. And, uh, and now with these rules of life, we can we can feel like we know what's going on and we have this new vitality and blessing upon blessing. The rest of this passage in verses 7 through 9, those verses give us four um, blessings and then I'll read verse 10 and get the last two blessings. So there's six blessings as well as six expressions of the law and six, well, I'm just holding up a hand, six uh, descriptions of the law. What it, what it provides for us. And the first is, in verse 7, it revives the soul. You start reading this, and it revives your soul. And you know what? Um, you know what the New American Standard Bible translation says? It restores the soul. And the Holman Christian Standard Bible, which is actually this one here, that Lifeway, Lifeway quotes during um, our Sunday school pa- our books, uh, it says that it renews the soul. You want some life to you? Get in the Word of God, and you'll be blessed. It also talks, number two, about giving us wisdom. It, it gives why, makes wise the simple. Wisdom is very simple. It's all about making the right choices in life. There are some people that are really smart, really, really smart, can quote you all kind of knowledge and facts and figures, but they don't have a clue as to the right choices they make in life. Whoops. Wisdom is not something that's easy. It's hard. But the Word of God, the rules of life are right here in the Bible. It gives us wisdom. Third thing it says, joy, rejoicing in the heart. I like joy. Anybody here like joy? I'll tell you what. When we sing, when we read the Word, when Pastor Randy's preaching, if you really want to know what's going on inside of me, I'm jumping up and down in the pew. Yeah! Because I'm excited about the things of God. Even though I've been a Christian now for 45 years, I'm more excited today about God than I was when I first started. And that's the way it ought to be. We ought to be growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, rooted and grounded in His Word and people that just love God. Because I'll tell you what, I'm going to give you a spoiler alert. When Pastor Randy finishes Revelation 21 and 22, guess who wins? God wins. Guess who else wins? God's people win. And he's already... Yeah, he's already said that a few times, but when you're feeling down, when you're feeling small, when you're feeling insignificant, when you're feeling like you're lost and dead and and things are, you're up to your neck in alligators, you know what? Hold on, because at the end, we win. I did watch a little bit of March Madness yesterday. I'm originally from northern Indiana, uh, Valparaiso, Indiana, and my girlfriend in high school went to Purdue University. And so I kind of like, you know, Indiana schools and Purdue was in the Elite Eight yesterday and they should have won and they let it go. Oh, but you know what? It's life. There's always next year. And you know what? That doesn't mean anything with respect to eternity. And that's the way we got to think with eternity in mind. Okay, so we get joy, number four. It talks about light to the eyes. It's figuratively speaking because light to the eyes We can see a physical light. We're talking about spiritual light, the ability to see God, to see truth, to see all these things of the law, the law of God teaches us about Him and about us. Number five and six are in verse 10. So let's look at verse 10. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Wow. Reviving the soul, wisdom, joy, light, True riches, better than gold. You could have a mountain full of gold. You know what? You're going to die and leave it all behind. And if the whole system crashes, it may not do you any good anyway. But the Word of God brings you eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal or everlasting life. I don't have to worry about death. I have eternal life. I have it now. You do too if you're in Christ. And if you don't know Christ, find Him today. Today! And get eternal life. Give your life to Him and follow Him. Oh, we talked about that in Sunday school, about following. Yeah, good stuff today in Sunday school. You know what? If you're not coming to Sunday school, why not? Amen? Amen? teacher? Teacher? We can, you know, move in here or something if we need a bigger room or start more classes whatever. So we get a blessing of true riches and finally we get the blessing of sweetness. Now it talks about sweeter than honey. I, I decided to bring a little honey here today. See it says honey on there? See that? Uh, Pete, you can read that from the front, right? So I'm going to take, take this and I'm going to pour a little bit out of my finger. I'm going to see what this tastes like. Oh, that is good that is sweet I could do this by the way I'll leave it here um, if you want to wipe it and put try a little taste when you're done by all means mmm I think I have 99 percent taste buds that are sweet oriented but what does it say here these rules of life the Word of God are sweeter also than honey and the drippings of honeycomb we are totally blessed. Totally blessed. The Word of God speaks. I see, I see. I feel special. I am really, really blessed. Amen. I was small, lost, and insignificant, confused. Now I know because I am a partner with God. I have His rules for life and much more. Well, let's move on. We've seen the heavens speak. I say I feel small. We see the Word of God speaks. I say I feel special. And now we ought to speak in these last four verses, 11, 12, 13, 14, I am blessed. That's what we ought to say. So I need to be careful how I live. I'm going to say that twice. Part A and part B. Let's look at the first one, part A. Look at verse 11. Whoa. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and keeping them there is great reward. Warning, 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 warning. If the bridge is out, and the sign says the bridge is out, and you say, I can't read, or I don't think the sign is right, or I really don't care, uh, you're going to (laughs) perish. I'm saying that today. God says, you're going to perish if you don't know my son. You have the opportunity today, if you've never become his follower, to say, I want to put my faith and trust in Christ and become his follower. I did that at 26. It's the best thing that's ever happened to me. You're good too, Lynn. We got an anniversary card from our daughter. She said, oh, this is the second best day of your life. You The day you and mom got married. And then the inside of the card said the best day was when I was born. <laughs> She's daddy's girl. I love her. That may be almost true. No offense. <laughs> Warning. But on the other hand, flip it, reward. First Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. It says, train yourself for godliness. Train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and the life. To come. I'm looking forward to that one. And we'll be well prepared if we train ourselves for godliness. I, 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 it's basically, yeah, yeah, train yourself for godliness. So a lot of my verses I memorize out in NIV 84. I tried to change some of them to the SV, but my mind went crazy. So sometimes they're a mix. There may not be exactly what the screen shows. Okay, so great reward. We'll talk about more of that some other time. Verse 12. So if we have to be, need to be careful because there are consequences to how we live, we see a warning and a reward. Verse 12 says, this is David now, a man after God's own heart. He's applying what he's learned here so far in these first verses. And he says, who can discern his errors, declare me innocent from my hidden faults. There's times when we just mess up. There's times we don't obey God, we're not even thinking about it, uh, we may not have learned that particular thing yet, and that's the way we've always been, and, we, and, and everybody's falls short of the glory of God, the scriptures teach, everybody does, even after 44 years I still fall short, and sometimes I'm just not thinking about what I'm doing, and I, and I sin. And what does David say about that? Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. You know what he's asking for there? He's asking for a lot of grace from God. How many want a lot of grace from God? Yes, his favor, his uh, giving uh, giving us what we don't deserve. Grace is good. Grace is good, and that's what David is asking for here. Verse 13, then he says, Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. He's got his heart looking for the Lord here. He's got his mind looking for the Lord here. He wants to please the Lord here. A man after God's own heart, that's what a man after God's own heart does. And he doesn't want to get involved in presumptuous sins. Presumptuous sins, okay? The uh, Holman Christian Standard here says willful. Presumptuous comes from the word presume. And presume is, I think I'm okay, I'm going to do it my way. Uh-oh, maybe I should have asked God first. <laughs> okay? and so he doesn't want those things to rule his life and you can see example after example in scripture where god's people did something and they didn't seek the lord first and guess what it didn't work out very well seek the lord first don't be presumptuous see what this has what are the rules of life and let's try to live them and live them to the max sound good amen Amen. and you will be blessed and uh so we need to be careful how we live, and then finally, this last verse. This is where David has looked at these first thirteen verses, and man, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the skies above proclaim His handiwork. And then we have this amazing law of the Lord with its descriptions and its blessings. And now he doesn't want to get involved in sin because of all that he feels special, and and now. He puts the rubber to the road right here. This is what he wants to basically do as a result of having written this and meditated on this. He says this, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my Redeemer. We'll talk about the rock and Redeemer some other day. That's just some great stuff about God. But here's where the person of God, I'm hoping that's you today, is going to apply it like David decided he was going to apply it. First, let's go to the second one first. It's about what you think about. Thoughts, thoughts come to your mind like a rapid-fire machine gun. Sometimes all day long, everywhere. We've got all these thoughts in our mind. Some are good, some are evil. I've been a Christian a long time. I'm in God's Word all the time, and guess what? Evil thoughts still come to my mind. Get out of here. And if I try to think about them too much to stay away from them, I even think about them more. But there are solutions to that. But you are, and I am, and David is, responsible for what we think about on an extended period of time. What thoughts linger in our hearts, in our our minds, things that stay there. And I'll tell you one who was really a great guy was Joseph when he was being kind of prowled on by Potiphar's wife and Joseph didn't want to mess with some other man's wife, and she was putting the moves on him, and he said, how then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Boom! That thought was crushed the moment it came. Crushed, demolished. Why? How could I sin against God? Wow, what a great verse that is when temptation comes pounding on your door. How could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? No No matter what that temptation may be, so we are responsible. David was responsible. I'm responsible. You're responsible for the thoughts that linger, what we meditate on, in that sense of the thoughts that linger. And he say, May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord. And if we think about the rules of life and what brings glory to God, our thought life will be great. Notice that it doesn't, doesn't say the meditations of my mind. It says the meditations of my heart. Why? Because it's figuratively, figurative for the center of your will. I can think one thing but decide to do another. And that's figuratively my heart. So he's talking about the meditations of your heart. That's that wisdom thing again about knowing versus doing. So I will know in my mind but what I, the direction I go comes from my heart. The mind is kind of like a steering wheel in the car. When I first taught my older son how to drive, somehow he wasn't paying attention. We're on this country road, so I get him in the steering wheel there, it's in the seat, and he starts to go, and what does he do? He's going like this with the steering wheel. And I'm like going like this. Kevin, Kevin, hold on. You don't have to do that. I mean, we don't have to have course corrections while we're steering. Nobody just steers like that. You're going to run off the road. But I mean, wow. He had no clue as to what was going on. But every time he turned that steering wheel, the car jerked. My neck jerked. My head jerked. The thoughts that linger in your mind and the thoughts that you meditate on your heart, you're going to start going in that direction. Amen? Amen. Be careful about your mind. May they be your heart's thoughts. May they be acceptable to God. And the last thing, let the words of my mouth, not only should you concentrate about what you think about and the decisions you make, But sometimes I'm doing the right thing and all of a sudden these words come out of my mouth. And I go, oh man. Once they come out, you can't call them back. You cannot call them back. The only thing you can do is, I'm sorry, I blew that one. Um, I need to think a little better before those words come out. James has the idea, let everyone be quick to hear and slow to speak when it comes to words. And when those words do come out, and by the way, the Bible has a lot to say. I could go on until midnight tonight about what the Bible has to say about your speaking and your mouth and about our communication. Many instructions are given. Time to take heed to them. Put them into practice. And uh, if you guard your, guard your mouth and be slow to speak, you probably get a better victory. Anyway, David said, let them The words of my mouth be acceptable in your sight. Let these be two goals. When you leave here today, the two goals. I'm going to watch very carefully about what I'm thinking. I'm going to watch very carefully about what I'm speaking. Okay? That's what David wants to do. That's what we ought to do. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you that as we look around,